From South Dakota. <laughs> oh, don't you know? Oh, we commit murder too, you know, in cold, cold, freezing cold blood. Oh, heck. <laughs> so cold you could go ice fishing on it. That's how cold blood our murder is in, here in South Dakota. So I'm watching Fargo. I, am, I didn't know. I am seven years too late to the party, but boy, is that show good. Did show really come out seven years ago? 2014, the first wow. season. Wow. Mistakes. Ow. Yeah, and the movie came out the year I was born, 1996. Wow. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> it's so good. I, that movie was one of the first, like, really, like, fucking gory, gruesome movies I'd ever watched. Like, my brother was like, you need to see this movie <laughs> when he was trying to culture me when I was like 11. <laughs> um, and, you know, they put a body in a wood chipper in that movie. <laughs> so I don't know if I was ready for that. But <laughs> it, it's so good. Francis McDormand, absolute icon, legend. Around the same time she was in uh, Madeline. Oh, yes. <laughs> what a uh, dichotomy. Her, her range. Oh, maybe I'll watch that tonight. One of the best movies I'm of all watch, time. Yeah, I'm gonna watch that tonight. Thank you for reminding me of that movie. Yeah, it's a real it's a good comfort food movie. Yeah. I love Madeline. It's so good. It's yeah, truly. Oh, I'm so gonna fuck up that movie. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking <laughs> fuck up that movie. Oh God, what a movie. I love a runaway. I love a what what's our our culture's obsession with orphans too? Every single movie about a child is they're an orphan. I didn't know Even that many so orphans. Even so far as mice, we've, we're so obsessed with orphans that we've turned animals into orphans. Can okay. you imagine the or can you imagine being the orphans at that orphanage? <laughs> a family comes in and they adopt a mouse. <laughs> like that mouse wasn't like they're, they're just like a delusional couple yeah. <laughs> come in and like to try to like like the 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 people who run the orphanage immediately clock it yeah. they're like we can't send these people home with a child and so they literally like catch a mouse and they're like this one just came in <laughs> and that's the premise of Stuart little all right we're gonna write the alternative <laughs> yeah. alternate um Stuart little version movie yeah like what that would look like in real life and it's, yeah. it's just a couple coming in, literally walking out with like a feral, <laughs> flea-infested mouse. But they have somehow put a little suit and tie on. <laughs> it absolutely dies immediately from the like. Just it, you know, mice aren't supposed to wear clothes. I don't know if y'all know that. I saw a little mouse when we were in Central Park a couple weeks ago when I was peeing. Yes. A mouse like scurried across, and it like you know I've seen mice. In my apartment before, ew, but I have. <laughs> but uh, wood mice are different, you know? Yeah. And those are like the mice that I know that the mice in Cinderella are supposed to be house mice, but they like look more like wood mice, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, it just really put me in the mood to be Cinderella and be <laughs> friends with mice. So I'm so, like, I can see where Stuart's parents were coming from, you know? <laughs> Maybe they watched Cinderella as a kid and they were like, mice are just so cute with their little shirts on. <laughs> and they, when they scurry across almost your feet while you're squatting in Central Park, taking a little pee. <laughs> Like, I get it. I might go adopt a mouse. My dog would immediately eat yeah, that mouse. Absolutely. 
And that would be complicated because then I'm like, I don't know if my dog is supposed to eat clothes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, fuck the mouse. But now I have to like get surgery for my dog to get this little suit out of her. Anyway. Anyway. So I'm watching Fargo. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone should watch it. It's fucking crazy. But I'm also like, I'm... I'm once again late to the party. You haven't watched it, right? No, but I'm going to start just because you told me to. I think you'll really like it. It's kind of, I will, I'll warn you because I know we're both kind of in a similar emotional state lately. Yeah. It's like kind of not a great film, not film, I guess film and TV show. Neither are that great of a watch if you're in a place where you're like at all anxious about like misfortune. Okay. Well. Like I, I sometimes have intrusive thoughts about, you know, random acts of misfortune happening to me or the people I love. Yeah. And Fargo is kind of like it gives extreme confirmation to those kinds of intrusive thoughts. Okay. Interesting. It's like a show where everything that everything bad that could happen mm-hmm. does happen, you know? All right. But in that way, it's also like it's chaotic and fun to watch because it's like kind of wildly unrealistically terrible you Mm. know yeah so it depends like sometimes that's comforting and sometimes it's who only puts you even worse in a bad place you know what i mean all right well so maybe start with madeline yeah maybe i'll start with madeline start with madeline though to be honest i like watch the handmaid's tale when i'm feeling fucked up i was gonna say i do think that you would dig it like i know that you when you're in a weird emotional place um obsessively research terrorist attacks (laughs) yes so i feel like this (laughs) this show is actually right up your alley but for both you and the listener i just wanted you to do the common courtesy of while recommending this show giving like a light warning that it might not help uh i don't know if you're a person that is anxious <laughs> about bad things happening it's like only bad things happen in this show um but it's also really funny and like wildly unrealistic and i love the the creator um is a fucking loony bin and he's just so like incredibly like uh what's the word that we love to call artist eccentric yes and he, um, at the beginning, each season is a different like story. So it's like a whole new cast and stuff. But each season begins with like, this is a true story. But for the out of respect for the, the survivors, we've changed the names. And out of respect for the dead, everything else is told exactly how it happened. And I looked it up because I'm like, halfway through season one, I was like, this didn't happen. There's mm. no like, we would have heard about this if this happened. Yeah. And I looked it up and I was like, Fargo, true story, question mark. And I found out that he does that because um, legally saying that something is a true story means nothing and you can say it about anything. Oh, wow. And he just thought it would be funny. Oh, that is funny. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yeah, it's a true story in that it's a story that I'm telling. So now it exists because it's like, you know, it it happened in the story I'm telling. And it really, uh, I just think, is like a fun way to um, call out everyone else who has claimed something as a true story. Because he's like, this is absolutely made up. And I legally can say the exact same thing that huh. all these other <laughs> shows say. Oh, I love that. So just think about that. You know, next time something's <laughs> a true story, it's probably not that true. I like the way he's like making fun of how television works. He's like, you can do whatever the fuck you want and call it a true story. All right, I'm definitely going to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of brilliant and uh, it's super funny and fucked up and makes me, it like inspires me because 
I tend to skew kind of dark with my writing. And as, you know, a comedian, <laughs> quote Anya unquote. just did air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like, should my writing, like the scripts and stuff that I write, should they be more like slapstick, like funny? Um, and I love that Fargo is like kind of technically a comedy and people get like brutally fucking murdered in it. And like it defies genre to me. Yeah. Um, anyway, enough about Fargo. Everyone watch it. That can be my that can be my hot take so that I don't take okay. up any more time <laughs> on just a random subject. Um, watch Fargo. That's my hot take. And that and anything can be a, uh, called a true story and it doesn't actually have to be true. That's my official hot take. Um, do we want to go into yeah, well, the you just segment? Did your hot take so you should take us away. <clears throat> I will. Mistakes, keepsakes and hot takes. Okay. So my mistake this week. Um well my mistake was kind of today. So we're recording this on Sunday as per usual for context and there was the like trans youth march and rally mm-hmm. today and I just like I left a little bit late but I was like that's fine because yeah. these things never start on time anyway and also it's not like they're taking attendance you know like I just wanted to show up and show support and um it's like also the like the uh, there's a big Puerto Rican holiday today mm-hmm. And my neighborhood is very Puerto Rican. So there were all these like street festivals happening and I did not take that into account. So uh, what was supposed to take 40 minutes to get to the Brooklyn Museum um, ended up being an hour and a half on two buses. And that's, you know, I should have just taken into account that if it's a bus and not a train, it's going to take longer than it says. But so then I get there way late. I only really catch the end of the rally. Um, And then the march starts and I'm like, do I really want to like march somewhere right now? So I I walk with them for a little bit and then it starts raining. Uh (laughs) And then I'm like, at that point, it's like 3 p.m. or maybe even later. And I knew we had to do this podcast today and I needed to do a research research for the episode we're recording after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't want to like stretch my time too thin. So even though I was invited to like go somewhere to hide from the rain with some of our friends, um, I was like, I shouldn't do that because then I'm going to leave late from that. And I'm going to be so late getting back home and then I'm not going to do proper research for this mm-hmm. episode. And then I'm going to like rush over here. And so I was like, I guess I'm just going to fucking take the bus home now so i was at the march for like 45 minutes maybe um with a grand total of like a three hour round trip commute oh my god and i don't know if that's like a mistake because i didn't do anything wrong other than like leaving kind of late but i still would have gotten there super late either way yeah it's just more like a frustrating series of events that i just haven't had to deal with a ton because I have a car now and the reason I didn't take the car is because I was like, I'm not going to drive to the rally and then not find any parking and then like lose my parking spot at home. You know, like it was like, it doesn't make sense, but I just haven't had to deal with like crazy public transit bullshit in a while. And I guess my mistake was not foreseeing it. Um, My mistake was also 
not just fucking like taking an Uber, I guess, to such a difficult part of town to get to from my apartment. My mistake was forgetting it's this holiday today. <laughs> and it just felt like it was a wash of a day, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just hate that feeling of like three hours of like complete nonsense bullshit. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, hey, at least you went. I didn't even go. So yeah, but like you, you don't have to go. Like you're trans. <laughs> you are trans rights, you know? <laughs> I'm the fucking bullshit ally that has to show up i can't just be like what my best friend is trans i run a podcast with a trans woman okay so (laughs) so i'm all set um i know i'm like you know under the trans umbrella by being non-binary but i don't really vibe with that being an equation like with some people it's an equivalent like some people are much more trans in their non-binary presentation yeah but i'm like i'm gonna fully just call my myself an ally and not at all (laughs) claim that umbrella for my personal outward uh and and inward experience of being (laughs) non-binary i'm like i have the life of a cis woman i know that um anyway so that was kind of my mistake, but I ended up just doing all the research just on the bus. Right, and well, so, and I was like listening to music and I actually like, I kept being like, I should be more frustrated than I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mm, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, then my keepsake, I am fucking back on my cooking bullshit officially. Right, I've been cooking so much this week. I cooked for our little potluck last night, a dish that I love to make and used to make all the time and I just haven't made in so long and I was so happy to make it and I've I've been fucking meal prepping (laughs) and I am so proud of myself I have not eaten out in days I love that yeah other than I guess I just had a Dunkin Donuts bagel that doesn't really count yeah um but yeah so my keepsake is that I'm like officially cooking and like grocery shopping again and if you listened to the podcast, what, last week or the week before? Mm-hmm. That was a big... <laughs> I was weighing heavy on my heart that I don't cook anymore. So I'm, that's my keepsake. I got back into it. I'm having a lot of fun. Congrats. Thanks. I love that. Teaching myself some new recipes. Ooh. Especially because I'm not like officially vegan anymore, obviously. Like, I feel like... Obviously to you. Yeah. Because um, you see me eat all the time now. But like, I'm mostly vegetarian still but i'm definitely not vegan anymore and so it's been fun to i'm still gonna try to cook vegan at home for the most part but it's been fun to try to like start incorporating ingredients that i haven't really cooked with in like over six years now you know Mm -hmm. so that's exciting and fun like pasta is more interesting to cook again because when you don't cook with dairy um pasta is better with real butter yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm just excited. I'm excited to be out here. And by that, I mean just like at the food bazaar, spending <laughs> money on like a normal amount of food and not just hundreds of dollars a day on takeout. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Your turn. Um. Okay, so my fuck up of the week or mistake of the week, rather, Um. Definitely would be my K-hole last night. <laughs> um, for context, me and Anya were at a house party at our friends. Um, and I had been at Carrie Nation 
before that all day and had taken an Adderall and was drinking and then got to the party and was very anxious because of the Adderall. Also, maybe the fuck up too was taking the Adderall as well as going into the K-hole because I looked at the Adderall in my hand and said to myself in my head, do you really want to take that? You don't like Adderall. (laughs) But I was so tired because I've been out since Wednesday, just like nonstop and not sleeping. Mm. So I was like, I need to take an Adderall. Like I need to, I need to be up. So anyway, got to the party, was very anxious, decided that if I did some ketamine, it would make me less anxious. But then I did too much ketamine, um, which is ridiculous because I do drugs often enough that I should know better than that. Um, And it immediately put me into a K-hole, like one of the worst K-holes I've been in in a long ass time. <laughs> like I have not been in a K hole that bad. Probably since the first time I did K when yeah. I went into a K hole. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, it just ruined the night for me. Mm. Um which was I'm like thinking now I'm like that's silly because I was out of the K hole before midnight and we didn't leave everyone didn't leave the party until like 4:30 a.m. So I had like several hours to just save the night, but I just couldn't get out of it. Sometimes you're just, that's just where your mood is now, you know? Yeah, it sucked. Though I will say, I mean, the silver lining is that I um, realized when I went into our friend's bedroom and was coaching myself out loud through the K-hole, I have never been so focused on getting out of a bad drug experience <laughs> in my life. And our friend came into his room and when we were like talking this morning on his, on his couch was like, yeah, I'm actually like really impressed by how focused you were on getting yourself out of that K-hole. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I refused to close my eyes because I knew if I closed my eyes yeah, that it would big, fuck it up. big time. I kept like, I uh, was like finding like things in the room to like keep my focus on, was like breathing a lot, uh, was like <laughs> drinking water, kept like contextualizing the K-hole as like, basically just like was, I kept like, <laughs> I kept saying to myself over and over again, ew, Nika, this is so annoying. We're not doing this right now. <laughs> um, and I was doing it purposely because I wanted to cry. And I knew that if I started crying, it would again make the K-hole even worse and I'd be gone for hours. Definitely. So I kept saying that because I was trying to make myself laugh and was trying to make myself like understand that it wasn't that big of a deal. So this all worked. And I got out of the K-hole. No one had Mind to pull me out of it. Matter. Yeah, literally. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> hits forehead. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was determined that I didn't know if I was going to have a good time once I was out of it, but I was determined to be out of it. Yeah. Um, Which is already a better time than being in it. Yeah. No, the one thing I hate the most um, about doing drugs and having a bad drug experience, which I don't have often, is people having to take care of me or feeling like they have to take care of me makes me want to absolutely kill myself and go postal. (laughs) Um, So I knew I had about an hour before people started really worrying about whether or not they had to take care of me. Mm. Um, So I used that hour to get out of it. Yeah. So, but that was the mistake was just doing too much K. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a drug that people casually do a ton of and it's one of the easiest drugs to go from a fun time to a terrible time so i'm like shouldn't we all just be a little bit more on top of not doing too much of this drug that is like 
kind of guaranteed to turn your night into a terrible one if as soon as you pass certain threshold and just gentle reminder to people in new york but also everywhere to be testing yes. your powdered drugs test test, drugs. test test there are free fentanyl testing strips at so many different resources you know for like harm reduction centers and stuff um so if you honestly you can just like google where to get free fentanyl yeah. uh, testing strips and it will probably be fruitful we're back out here we're partying new york is back other cities other towns we're all we're back we're partying and we should be doing so with care and um yeah safely none of that abstinence bullshit on this podcast go have fun but just have your own back especially because these resources are accessible and free in a lot of places anyway yes Yes, yes, yes. Keepsake? Um, oh, keepsake. Definitely um, that I f- uh, finally fucked someone that I was unghosted by. Um, oh, yes. So I'm going to tell you guys a story. wait <laughs> for this to be on the podcast. Uh, um, so I am going to use <laughs> the name that I call him because it is his nickname and it's not his real name. So whatever. Anyway, Sup Cooper. I know you're not listening to the podcast. <laughs> anyway... But if you are, I know you think it's really hot that you are hooking up with a stand-up comedian, which is so funny because I haven't done stand-up in over a year. <laughs> well, so anyway. Um, Once a stand-up, always a stand-up. <laughs> it's like sex work. Yeah. <laughs> You're just in the club forever. So like the second week that I moved back to New York, I... Oh my God, that's where I was. Okay, I couldn't remember where I was when I started messaging him on Grinder. I had been at a comedy show at Club Coming mm-hmm. and I got very drunk and left the comedy show and was on the train. And while I was on the train, somebody who lived in the area, Cooper, messaged me. Super hot. Like crazy hot. Like crazy. I will, I'll confirm that this is like... Crazy hot, played rugby in college, like Italian-American, like ripped, jacked. He looks w- like he could be cast as the hot guy in a TV show. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Very <laughs> like that. Like actual he, hot, yeah. not like hot. Yeah. Like TV hot. Like CW TV yes. hot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yes. And so we like texted for a while last winter and he had a girlfriend, so we never hung out because as much as I used to be okay with that, I'm not in my old age anymore. If it's a monogamous relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And they were monogamous. Um, so we ended up losing touch and the pandemic happened. So whatever. And then in like April or May, we started texting again because he reached out. And we were like hot and heavy and like still hadn't met and we kept making plans and he kept blowing me off. And then he blew me off like a fourth time and I or like a third time. Um, And I was like, uh, you know, like messaged him and was like, don't ever text me again. Like this is over. Like, I don't want to hear from you again. You're a fucking piece of shit. Don't do that. Bye. Oh, I love boundaries. So Although, we asked we're about to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Don't follow through on those boundaries, but that's okay. So. Setting the boundary is a good pra- practice. Um. <laughs> so 
I deleted his number and definitely wouldn't say I forgot about him because I actually like would think about him from time to time just because he was so hot and he was really fun to talk to. And I was like bummed because I was like, you know, this could have been like a fun like hookup scenario. Yeah. Y'all were texting when we were in Vermont, right? Yeah. And you'd like send little videos. And yeah. Stuff. I remember you being really smit- smitten. Yeah. He sends like really cute videos of himself, like, you know, lip singing with his shirt off. Um, yeah. <laughs> big like himbo energy yeah, and a little I, bit insufferable but he's so hot that it's almost endearing yeah <laughs> um and we would like text like all day which i generally don't like yeah um so yeah i was definitely like a crush but not a crush where i was like i want to date him but just like a fun crush what's his sign um capricorn aquarius cusp january okay. 20th hot yeah very hot very That's aquarius so close to your birthday i know um, so <laughs> fast forward almost a year later, somebody messages me Friday night at midnight, um, and, or Thursday night at midnight. So technically Friday and just says, Hey, with like the eyeballs emoji. And I don't see it until the morning. So I answer it in the morning and I'm like, Hey, well, who is this? And he's like, it's Cooper. And I'm like, who the fuck is Cooper? <laughs> who, who's Cooper? And so I'm like, who the fuck is Cooper? Like, who are you? Forgetting. And he was like, wow, damn. Like, I knew I fucked it up, but I didn't realize I fucked it up that bad. And I was like, who are you? (laughs) Oh, my God. Such a fuck boy. So he finally answers. And I'm like, (sighs) and I'm like, oh. So I like am being really mean to him. And I'm like, okay, like, why the fuck are you hitting me up? Like, what do you want? Like, I told you I never wanted to hear from you again. Can I ask you something bestie to bestie? Yeah. Even while you're giving this like kind of like pairing him a new one, are you a little bit like excited? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, No, my like stomach, (laughs) my stomach like fell out of my butt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But you're like, I got to first be a cunt. Yeah. No. So that I have some integrity (laughs) when I absolutely still fuck him. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, No. And I mean, I'm sure he knew that. Um, that's part of the dance that these fuckboys yeah. do with us. Yeah. They're like, yeah, 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 get it out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just being like super mean to him and he keeps apologizing and he keeps being like, you were so right. And every time he's like, you were so right. I'm like, I know you're a fucking asshole. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I hope you feel better about yourself for getting this off your chest, you fucking loser. Um, Ugh, and yes. then I like warm up a little bit and I'm like, well, whatever, like you reached out. So like, I'll give you credit for that. Like, if you want to hang out the balls in your court, like I'm not going to be hitting you up to make plans. You can hit me up. And like, that's that. So he's like, so he's like, like, and I'm blonde. Now. Yeah. <laughs> is that like, <laughs> is that like 3 p.m.? And then at like 8 p.m. And he's like, OK, like I will. Like, I promise you go like we are going to hang out. I'm like, okay, whatever. We're probably not, but whatever. 8 p.m. rolls around. He hits me up and is like, so what are you doing tonight? And so I like entertain the idea and I'm like, why don't you meet me at Talon um, in Bushwick and we'll get drinks at nine. And then I was like, you know what? Actually, fuck that. I'm going to blow him off last minute and give him a taste of his own medicine. So nine o'clock rolls around and I'm like, hey. Iconic. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, actually, um, I have plans with a friend so we can't hang out tonight. But if you still want to hang out, like you can make plans with me another time. Maybe like don't make last minute plans with me. And he's like, damn, like, okay, like, I just like went, I just like worked out to like get like prepped to see you. But like, I get it. Like, we'll definitely hang out soon. And I'm like, okay, I'm sure we will. So then 4 a.m. rolls around 
And um, we're texting. And long story short, I'm in his bed at 5.30 a.m. Yeah, literally, you walked me home at 4 a.m. <laughs> and then I was like, are you taking the train or are you taking a car? And you lit- you took the train all the way home or did you go well, from so there? I, I took the train home. And as I was walking to the train, we were texting, trying to decide if we were going to hang out. Because he, his roommate was having a bachelor party for his mm. cousin. So he like had guys over and was like, I don't want to bring you into that environment. Like they're all stupid drunk. And I was like, I don't care, whatever. And, but, and then my sister invited me to like uh, her friend's apartment in the city right near his apartment. And I was like, I don't want to go home. And I don't know if I'm going to hang out with him. So let me just like hop in an Uber and go to the city and figure it out. At 5 a.m. At 5 a.m. <laughs> so I get to my sister's friend's apartment on the Lower East Side at like 5.30. And it's like dying down like the afters. So I text Cooper and I'm like, hey, if you're still up, like I'll come over if you call me a car. So he calls me a car and I go over. Um, and yeah, we hooked up and we had sex and it was hot. Um, and his apartment I, is nice. His apartment is so nice. He has a roommate, but it's literally three floors, a three floor apartment in fucking Manhattan. In Manhattan, in the Lower East Side. I gotta start doing a trade. Oh uh, my god. Uh, um. Yeah, I know. Seriously, like, like I gotta learn a trade. Hey guys, write in. What trade should yeah, I learn? He's a fucking blue collar trade boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Like, um, not, he's like a fucking white collar trade boy. <laughs> he's got an apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> Three floors. I know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we'll see if we hang out again. I mean, when I left his apartment, I was like, we're definitely not going to hang out again. Like, he's a fuck boy. Um, but then he texted me while I was on my way home, like half an hour later, and was like, please let me know when you get home safe. So, like, interesting. Have you guys talked since? Yeah, we talked last night um, because I invited him to the party and we were like talking about hanging out again and how hot it would be to go to a party together so we could make out because we're both really hot and then people would watch. (laughs) We're both total Aquarius narcissists, which I love. That exhibitionism. As we were hooking up, we both kept being like, we're so fucking hot together. (laughs) (laughs) I love that for you. For him, he needs to fucking calm down, but you you get to feel that way. He is so hot. He though. is, but like, that's the thing. If you're if you're a man and you're that hot, you don't get to like be like, aren't I so hot? No, he kept t- he wasn't. I was saying that he was so hot. He kept telling me that I was so hot, and yeah. I kept being like, we're both. And then I would be like, you're so hot, and you'd be like, well, what if we're both so hot? Oh my god! Wow, sounds like you have great banter. Um, it honestly like it was very familiar hooking no, up. I'm, I'm kidding. No, I know. I'm just saying it was weird how familiar. I mean, I guess not weird because we've been talking for so long on and off. Yeah. Um. This just like turned into a mini episode, but just keep sake. <laughs> but I mean, I was unghosted and lived to tell the tale. Yes. So by a truly unghosted during retrograde. During retrograde, <gasps> the Nicola Mazzo story. All of these boys are coming out of the woodwork. Because yeah, that you happened. had another fucking another one that I had a crazy hot fucking weekend romance with in New York two summers ago during World Pride. Who I removed as a follower recently because I haven't heard from him in a year and he li- he watches all of my stories but never texts me. So I removed him as a follower and he liked three of my photos last night. 
but doesn't follow me. Interesting. Retrograde is like doing something right now. Yeah, retrograde is like Nika is about to get some fucking full circle closure and <laughs> and opening. <laughs> yeah, no closure for Nika because if you are a hot man, um, I don't have boundaries. Yeah, so I feel that. I pretend no to, closure for Nika. No closure for me. <laughs> Nobody puts Nika in a closure. And also, I will develop an obsessive crush on you if you put your dick inside of me. So. <laughs> terrible be warned and <laughs> be warned <laughs> cooper um i know cooper where you live it's a hot name too i know it's not his real name but it's a hot name it is a hot name i know oh god yeah so that's my keepsake um my hot take is that and i decided this yesterday while i was at carrie nation and paid 29 dollars for my ticket during pride <laughs> And a party that was like 98% cis fags is that trans people should not have to pay covers for parties during Pride. I don't even yeah. think that's that hot of a take. No. I mean, it should honestly just have general ladies night rules. Yeah. Like, I also feel like even cis women shouldn't have to pay for a lot of Pride events. Because I agree. Pride, not, not like because they like obviously trans women deserve it in like a bigger way because Pride is literally because of y'all. But... Just as far as like what a sausage fest pride events can yeah, be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like gay men are not the only queer people. And they really I think they're the main <laughs> characters of the community. And I'm like, who told you that? <laughs> yeah, nobody like, else feels this way. No, like it, literally you're not. Yeah. Oof. The re- like the rest of us are getting real homophobic real quick. Yeah, no, it's... like God. Uh... Uh, yeah, but no, definitely trans people in general and especially trans feminine and trans women, um, should get in for free. But I just think that like female identifying and like non-binary people in general should be able to get in for free because my God, it is a cis gay yeah. Sausage fest in there. And I know that's how they like it. I know. <laughs> it's yesterday was crazy. It's I was intentional. Like, but it's also like, babes, you're not the only ones. No, it was. Well, I like. Yeah, it was so cis and male yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I had fun. So like, whatever. But that's only because I was with my friends. If I like hadn't been with them. Yeah. And I we say like, this as two people who are famously our group of friends are like 80 percent cis yeah. male gay people. But these but... were like circuit gays. <laughs> these were a lot of like muscle, like white muscle gays. Like, of... like those gays. Ugh. A lot of Chelsea mesh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Bury that. Or like no shirts at all. Either yeah. or. Um, yeah. So, ew. Um, <laughs> we should get in for free. Agree. But you know what? Thank God. Our pride is almost over. One more week of this shit for us. Yeah, thank God. And then we're out of here and we're going to have our Fuck Vermont pride. If you ever get the chance, come to New York pride. I'm not trying to discourage people from that experience, but it is, you know, we've both seen it and done it and we don't need yes. it. No, we do not. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need it. I am proud all year long. Best New York pride I ever spent was just a hooking up with a guy. And then we looked like a straight couple. That's how I'd like to spend all my New York prides from now on. Just being read as a straight couple in a gay bar during pride. Honestly, same. 
Yeah, for sure. And we were I'd unintentionally at a gay bar. <laughs> we just happened to go there. Well, here's the thing. Because of like corporate pride, every bar turns into a gay yeah, bar we in were June. F- at, famously at Ginger's. Which is <laughs> An actual very, gay bar. Very gay. Yeah, definitely. But I don't know like how we even ended up there. We were on acid on a revel. That's all I, that's all I know. <laughs> Big, this is what dreams are made of moment. Oh my God. We did listen to that song last night. We did listen to that song. Here's the thing. Great crew of people who came to that party last night. I'm so sick of this music. Right. The music that was played all night. I'm just. Which music? The music that they played once they took over the music. Oh, oh, oh. Just this like housey. Yeah. That was okay. When I was DJing, people were fucking going off because I put pop music on. Okay. Here's the thing. They asked me at one point because somebody disconnected if I would do the music at like 2.30 in the morning. And I was like, sure. What do we want? Do we want something like poppy or disco like Whitney Houston? And they were like, oh, like, no, like that's like too lyric heavy. And I was I like, that. I was like, all right, y'all have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you can play your house music. I'm going <laughs> to uh, go sit I'm down so again. I'm so glad you're my best friend. You literally <laughs> want the like I'll, I am down for house music. In the right time and place. I'm down for house music when I'm in a club. Yeah, or like at Carrie at the party outside yesterday. Yeah. It was all house music. At, I was here for it. You know, for a few hours, it's fun at Reese Beach. I also like some lyrical music at Reese Beach too, though. Yeah. But like, I'm not here to diss house music. But my God, am I glad that when <laughs> you and I have the ox chord... <laughs> We go to the same shit, which yeah. is just top 40 hits yes. of the last 25 years. Yes. That's all we fucking want. That's all we want. With, a, you know, an occasional deeper cut here and there that's like maybe more specific <laughs> uh, to like our tastes. But like at a party, I want to hear. Um, wait, what was the song that we absolutely. Oh, we, we fucking. Oh, we went off to Unwritten by yes. Natasha Bedingfield yes. last night. We did. Like that. It's not that I need every song to be a 2005, like, you know, no, candy pop. But like, <laughs> I do. I want some of that. Yeah, like no. Levitating and company. Or, I'm sorry. If I am not hearing How Will I Know an hour before the sun comes up <laughs> and I'm still in your apartment <laughs> dancing. you're like, how will I know the sun is I coming up? The like, <laughs> then I want to go home. Like, and I don't want to go home, man. Like, come on. Uh, um, I was thinking in the bathroom before we started recording, like I've been, you know, people have been tweeting like, oh, I like forgot how to socialize because of the pandemic. And I've been like, shut the fuck up, losers, because um, I haven't felt that way. But I think <laughs> last night actually was an example of <laughs> yes. not like I don't think that people have forgotten how to socialize with their friends but they've forgotten how to socialize with people they don't know. Yeah. And so like there wasn't like. It was very like split up into groups, as you yes. said earlier, and it what no one was like excluding anyone. It no, was no, fine, no. but like but people were having a hard time like meeting each other. And, yeah, like, yeah, it was like t- even I and like I'm <laughs> extremely social. Like even before I went into the K hole with like our Jesse's friends who were there um, when I first got there. Other than the ones that I had met the night before in like a very intimate setting, I c- couldn't really figure out how to talk to them. Yeah. Like I kept like listening to their conversations and like standing by them and like nodding and like adding things, but like couldn't get myself to be like, what's your name? Yeah. And like, even when I did, it like felt awkward and forced. <laughs> and I was like, Oh God, this is like, I, I like didn't know what to ask people. Yeah. I've like forgotten how to socialize <laughs> with anyone that's not in my crew. Yeah. It's, it's weird, weird because like, 
A lot of our, well, I don't know. It's I a lot of our like go-to questions before the pandemic now feel like questions that I'm not really even interested in. Same, like, it's, like what do you what do you what do? do, you do? I, don't I don't wanna know. Care. I don't care. How are you? Yeah. But I hate that question. I hate asking people how they are. I hate asking what they do. I'm not some sort of fucking capitalist. I don't care what you do to make yeah, money. That's like, not the least interesting thing about people. And I really want to avoid at all costs anyone trying to fucking ask me, so how did you spend your pandemic? Oh god, no. <laughs> And I also, I don't even, and the other thing is with getting to know people, I don't really like my answers to those questions either. No, same. I don't really want to get into it about how I do OnlyFans stuff. Yeah, I don't 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 really want to. I don't want to talk about the podcast. (laughs) I'll tell you about the podcast and you can go listen to it, but people always want to like talk about it. And I'm like, I don't know. Just fucking listen to it. And then I don't, I do not like talking about comedy. I never have, even before the pandemic. But now people have like all these pandemic specific questions to ask about comedy. They're like, is it back? Are you back on stage? Mm -hmm. And it's like, kind of, but also like, I don't know. I just don't want to fucking talk about it. It's just something that I'm doing. Um, so that's why it's nice to hang out with people you already have a rapport with because they're not really going to ask those questions. I know, but I really don't want to stay in that because I'm like, I've never been that person who's like, I have my click. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't, I don't think we are those people. No, we're not. But it felt like that last night where I like everybody in our friend group or not everybody, but quite a few people in like our crew kept making remarks about being like, yeah, like the vibe is off. And like, I don't know, like looking like over at like the other people being like the vibe I, is off i liked the other people same i was I, like no, i the- wanted to be friendlier with them but i could tell that they also it wasn't like just our crew that was doing that though i could tell that they also were like we kind of just want to talk to our friends and yeah. not like nobody knows what to talk about i know we should have just played a game of like spin the fucking <laughs> I bottle was literally or something during dinner because you know before the party there was like a little like dinner potluck situation and i literally wanted to like go around and do like an icebreaker game as like a joke but then i was like i don't actually want to be the one who like suggests this and everyone yeah. then hates it <laughs> but i was like how else because these people none of us know how to fucking talk to each other i know Oh, what's the fuck up of the week? Yeah, we talked about this last night at the party and I forgot what you said we should say the fuck up of the week was. Was it Trisha Paytas? Yeah, probably. Well, yes. So there's two fuck ups of the week. I think one that's really funny is um, Jeffrey Tubin going back on CNN to talk about exposing himself on Zoom like in October or whatever. Yeah, masturbating in between Zoom calls. Yeah, like that... Masturbating on like in front of his coworkers back in October is in a, in and of itself a fuck up, but I think taking up like a considerable chunk of airtime on fucking CNN. Yeah, I mean, why did they have him on to talk about how he masturbated? To like, like be like, so tell us about it. And I do just kind of want to play the clip real uh, quick because yeah. I think it's so funny. Okay, hold on. Let's bring in CNN chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin to talk about this and more. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Allison. It's been a while. It has been a while, indeed. <laughs> I feel like we should address um, what's happened in the months since we've seen you, since some of our viewers may not know what has happened. Oh, so God. Uh, I guess I'll recap. I'll do the honors. <laughs> Help yourself. Okay. <laughs> um, in October... You were on a Zoom call with your colleagues from the New Yorker magazine. Everyone took a break for several minutes, during which time you were caught masturbating 
on camera. <laughs> uh, you were subsequently fired from that job after 27 years of working there. And you, since then, have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, you got it all right. Sad to say. Okay, so let's start there. Okay. Um, to quote Jay Leno, what the hell were you thinking? Well, obviously, uh, I wasn't thinking very well or very much. And um, it was something that was inexplicable to me. I think one point, I, I wouldn't exactly say in my defense, because nothing is really in my defense. I didn't think I was on the call. I didn't think other people could see me. You so, thought that you had turned off your camera? Uh, correct. I thought that I had turned off the Zoom call. Now, that's not a defense. This was deeply moronic and indefensible. But, I mean, that, that, is, part of, that, that is part of the story. Um, and, you know, I have spent the seven subsequent months, miserable months in my life, I can certainly confess. Um, trying to be a better person. I mean, in therapy, trying to do some public service, um, working in a food bank, which I certainly am going to continue to do, working on a new book about the Oklahoma City bombing. But I am trying to become the kind of person that people can trust again. Okay, wow. I have a couple things to say. First of all, what a waste of time. There's so much shit going on in the world. CNN is one of the biggest news sources. And they're like, Agreed. you know what we got to do? We got to let Jeffrey Tubin just kind of like come on and talk about the time he exposed himself to his co-workers <laughs> so that he can promote his no new book soon. <laughs> we Let's get this out of the way so we can have him on to promote his Oklahoma City bombing book. I love that plug, by the way. Yeah. I love that he's like, I'm working on being a better person and my book, which is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> um, second of all, which is why I think this is like, more more embarrassing than the lead up which is her summarizing what happened in this like really matter of fact way and it's just excruciating that she's like is that correct worse than that is when he says his excuse quote unquote i know he says it's not his defense or whatever which is that he didn't know that people could see him here's the thing whether you believe him or not let's just say he didn't know he was on camera and it was just like this horrible mistake, right? Mm -hmm. If that's true, Jeffrey, why are you in therapy to become a better person? All you need is to learn how to use a fucking <laughs> Zoom call. It's like, yeah. Like, I mean, why would he follow that up with like, and now I'm trying to be a better person by volunteering at a food bank and going to therapy over what was a fucking tech error i mean whoever his pr person is should be fired because that was a horrible statement that they put him on giving. <laughs> yeah. also it's like oh, who cares i cannot believe like i don't know it's just ridiculous to me that you can work somewhere for 27 years and get fucking fired on the spot for masturbating on camera accidentally like yeah it's not like there were any kids in the fucking room like right? I we all masturbate I yeah, yeah maybe suspend him yes or i understand like it's it is you should there should be really no leeway for exposing yourself to your coworkers and unfortunately because of the pandemic your coworkers are now on your computer yeah and like that like i just feel like boomers just don't know how to use computers and i don't i'm not trying to defend him cuz who knows maybe he actually was trying to expose himself and this is like the spin that he has is that he didn't yeah. know but i like i'm pretty sure he didn't know yeah like, that makes sense to me. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me, too. Um, so in that case, it's just a fucking terrible mistake. A suspension, maybe. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, but fired over a job of 27 years and then going to therapy over it when really he just needs like his fucking like Gen Z family members to sit him down and show him how a (laughs) webcam works. But he's like, I'm trying to become a better person because I don't know how a webcam works. It's not, it's not a moral failing. Also, we all masturbate. What a weird thing that everyone's like, ew. (laughs) It's so puritanical. It is. I mean, once again, you don't want to have too much uh, of like, especially after the fucking me too movement, you don't want to have too much leeway over um showing your dick to your co-workers i guess so i understand that they had to do something but what a strange comeback he's like so anyway and i'm working on a book the other fuck up of the week which i kind of just want to make it a like an episode soon so i'm not going to go too far into it um is that trisha paytas And Ethan Klein had a huge public falling out and their podcast Frenemies is now um, unexpectedly and suddenly canceled. Um, And to me, the like I will I do kind of want to talk in depth about it, not because uh, I just not because I'm like everyone really needs to know the ins and outs of this YouTuber drama, but I think it's just kind of like a wild story. And I happen to know a lot about it because I was a fan of the podcast. So I'll save that for a future episode. And I'm sure more is going to unfold too. I'm like, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to go into all the details and then like more shit happens with this story. So we're going to wait for the dust to settle a little bit. But the gist of it is that they like made a ton of their beef with each other and they're like, inter-podcast disputes public like they talked about it on the podcast and then they ended the podcast and like Trisha stepped down from the podcast and then made they both made like multiple tweets and videos about their issues with each other Mm -hmm. and it was just a weird weird thing that I can't imagine really happening in any other part of the entertainment industry other than like YouTubers where it's like we have to make sure our audience knows every detail as to why our collaboration didn't work out. Yeah. Like, can you imagine any other, like, like a director and a fucking, like, I mean, there's versions of that, I guess, with like staffs, like, you know, the Kim's convenience, um, staff, like the writers or, or the, the actors recently came out with a statement of how like the writers made really like racist storylines and stuff. Like obviously there are versions of people like Mm -hmm. being like, this is what was fucked up about this project I was involved in. Yeah. But the two creators of a project ousting each other. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty psychotic and I'm just like, well, you would know more because you actually listened to it, but I'm like wondering (laughs) if it was, uh, if it's like some kind of like long-term publicity stunt or something. I mean, I fucking hope because it's working. Yeah, it is working. I mean, like I think more people are talking about the podcast than ever before, which is what they've ended the podcast multiple times now. Oh, really? Which is why everyone's like so confused, but they've never done it to this extent. Like Trisha and like, Trisha quit the podcast back in December, which is what put the podcast on my map in the first place. I was like, what's this like drama with Trisha Paytas right now? And then I was like, oh, I didn't realize they have a podcast. And then I listened to it. And that's what got me into the podcast. And then they ended up rekindling and continuing the podcast. And they both acknowledged like, wow, us breaking up really made the podcast blow up. However, I re- this is different. They're like 
being like really they're like making personal jabs at each other yeah. in like long form YouTube videos. And it's just so messy. And so to me, the fuck up of the week is how public they've made this, what should be a private affair, especially because they are in-laws. Yeah. Like they ha- they are not just two podcast co-hosts, but they're, um, their spouses are siblings, you know? Yeah, real psycho behavior. Like, can you imagine? No. <laughs> That's terrible. Like, forever now, as presumably, if both of their marriages work out, they are now, like, forever tied to each other and have to go to, like, family holidays, knowing that they both released, like, 45-minute videos about why they, like, don't like each other. Yeah. To, like, millions of viewers. It's real fucking messy. It's messy. I cannot wait to do a full episode about it. Um. Anyway, so that would be the other fuck up, up of, the, of week the week. And a, a little bit of a teaser for a future, future uh, like, episode mistake. But yeah. but, yeah, anyway, this episode we're talking about the Russian royal family, royal family assassination. Execution. Yes. And, and the role that the British monarchy and government played in their untimely death yeah so um get the fuck into it everyone listener mistakes okay so um this is a mistake from esme cool so Hi, Nika and Anya. I'm a relatively new listener from the UK, and I'm using your podcast to fuel my long walks with my pandemic puppy. My best mistake is the aforementioned dog. As I write this email, email, Leopold is being dragged to his crate for biting my stepdad as he attempts to make curry. Here is my list of why Leo was, is an ongoing mistake. (laughs) Woodwork destruction. You don't know how much wood is in the house until you have a puppy who is perhaps a termite in a past life. Chairs, tables, screws. Uh, skirting boards, that piece of art your uncle gifted your mother for her 50th birthday. Destruction of other sorts. Shit on the carpet, hallway rugs, walking boots. Puppies get sick. Sprained his paw chasing a ball, got gastroenteritis, and had to be rushed to the vet because he was pooping blood. Vets are expensive. The vaccinations and microchip that the guy who sold him to us lied to us about him having... Chopping his balls off because we thought that would make him more tolerable. Spoiler alert, it did not. Mm -hmm. It's all in the personality. Terrorizing my little brother. It's a regular occurrence to see him stood on a chair while Leo prowls below. People are not believing me when I say he's a naughty boy. My dog trainer leaves each week saying, I'm sure this is the last session needed. He's so good. (laughs) Lies. Leo is a con artist of the greatest kind and fools everyone to thinking (laughs) he is well-behaved in public. I got asked if everything is okay at home while giving blood, much to my confusion until I looked at my arm and realized that the bruises up and down my arms from Leo's nipping make me look like a victim of domestic abuse. The process of persuasion that everything was okay was awkward to say the least. The list can continue endlessly, but these are the highlights. The worst part about all of this is that now I completely love him and am now a mother and hostage to a dog the family regularly thinks is possessed. (laughs) Uh, They attach two photos. One is, yes, peaceful as a puppy. And the other one is, but here he perhaps shows a sample of the chaos he can uh, produce. He looks very cute. The other (laughs) one, he's wearing a cone on his head. Finally, here he is zonked coming off anesthetic, wearing the cone of shame. 
I don't really see things getting better soon. I've been assured by other dog walkers that their puppies calm down around the age of four. So only another mm-hmm. three years to go. <laughs> yep. Nothing really learned from the situation. As my current line of thought is if he had a little friend, he might calm down. How much worse could two dogs be? Ugh. Plus, if I was given all this information beforehand, I probably still would have got him. This is the photo I was lured in with, which I'll share with Anya. How could I say no to his little, his little runty face? Hope you guys are good and are not planning on any pets. Love, Esme. L-O-L. I've never related more to a listener mistake in my life. I personally am not planning on any pets. <laughs> I love people with pets. They're not for me. I don't want animals in my house. <laughs> okay, yeah. Girly, I mean, and I say that as a gender neutral term. Don't know how you identify, but girly, let me tell you, as my exact experience with my dog, she was... Possessed by some kind of demon or devil when I first adopted her, but she was so cute that I just was like in love and kept her. She truly, she destroyed, you know, this maybe is a mistake I can share in a deep dive sometime, but she destroyed like multiple like sentimental objects of other people, like my former roommate, like my mom. Uh, She was like, she had really bad separation anxiety for a while and would chew up shoes and yeah like not I don't think wood but furniture for sure um she was kind of a terror to walk like my dog used to do this thing that out of nowhere she would attack whoever was walking her she would never like draw blood or like fully bite anybody but like it would like she would like jump up on you and not stop jumping up on you and it like it was impossible to get a dog walker for that reason because everyone was like I literally don't know how to walk this dog like we get 10 feet out the door and she just starts jumping on you and I'm like yeah I know and then same shit would happen where the trainer would come and she would be like an angel all of a sudden and they would be like yeah she seems great and I'd be like Mm. motherfucker no she's crazy but Esme if I could relay any comforting information She's a completely different dog now. (laughs) Nika can attest that that is not the dog that Nika met for sure. She's very, very calm. I don't need to crate her ever anymore. I don't even have a crate anymore. Um, The one behavioral issue that did not get better with age was her aggression towards other dogs, which I've talked about in a previous deep dive. Um, But that has gotten better with training and with a lot of patience. But her like... Psycho energy is is pretty much gone now. She still gets like hyped up sometimes, but she doesn't cause destruction ever. I was actually thinking about that when I left today because I kind of left in a hurry and I didn't even really like acknowledge my dog when I was leaving. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. It used to be such an ordeal to like put my dog in the crate and make sure she has water and like a toy. And like it was just a whole thing to prepare to leave my dog. And I'd have to come home a lot more often because when your dog is crated, you can't leave them alone for as long, like ethically and morally. You can't like leave them for hours at a time in the way that you can when they're just like chilling you know yeah um so i was just just recently today thinking about how grateful i am that my dog is no longer a year old so i want to just let you know that um there is there hopefully is hope I, i have not met your dog and i guess i can't speak to that but uh 
I think you'll be okay. Around year three is when it really starts to chill out. And my dog is six now and she's an absolute angel. And your dog is so cute. And I'm so happy for you that you have a dog that you love so much. I'm sorry about the other stress, but um, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it if you really love the dog. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it is hell on earth. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you... Um, are being held hostage by an adorable animal. I've been there. I'm still there. I've been held hostage for six years now. But I have either really, really effective Stockholm syndrome or she actually is better. (laughs) One or the other. Anyway. Anyway. I don't have much to say on the dog scenario other than everything Anya's saying is right. (laughs) So I'm not a pet owner and I don't want them. And that is the responsible thing to do. Anyone who's lukewarm about it, people who are like, I don't know, I think I want a dog. I'm like, don't do it. Yeah. What do you like? That's those are the people who fill the pound up with dogs that they didn't fully think through before adopting. But if you love them, then it is worth it. Like, I love being a dog owner, but I like can't imagine if I were lukewarm on it, what a waste of my fucking energy and money and time this would be. Yeah. Um, so when people don't want a dog and then don't get a dog, I love that for them. <laughs> also, I know that chopping your dog's balls off didn't help his behavior, but I'm still glad you did it. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. It is the right thing to do. We don't need more dogs. Uh-uh. <laughs> Ugh. Deep dive? Yeah. Deep dive. Deep dive. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> In my head, I was like, but we just did this and you did the deep dive, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> For context, we just recorded another episode right before this where Nika did the d- deep dive. And I'm a creature of habit. And I was like, that worked great. Why don't you do that again? <laughs> okay, no, I do have a deep dive. I'm ready to go. Okay, deep dive time. Oh my God, it is so hot in here. I know, the heat is on in this Wait, apartment. <laughs> heat on oh on right now and i don't know why oh you did oh my god interesting that is elisa's best mistake is that she turned the heat on when it was kind of cold for a couple of days the apartment was for insulation i'm just gonna move my chair my god i mean no, I can't put the arrow. Okay. It's fine. Uh, you know, this will make us move faster and then we can get that drink. <laughs> yeah, we got to Folks, we got to go. The girlies need to, we, we're parched. So pump that deep <laughs> that deep dive out. <laughs> Come on, go dig in. We're going to have I'm tired. All right. <laughs> That's too damn bad. That is too damn da- bad. Keep digging. <laughs> Okay, this was actually inspired by our karaoke night that we had last week, um, us us girlies. Um, so I famously hate karaoke. Um, I mean, I still sort of stand by that, despite the realization that I had that is what my deep dive is. But um, 
For a long time, my whole thing was like karaoke to me is just like, hey, you know your favorite songs? Those, but bad. Uh (laughs) And that's like, we're all supposed to be having fun with that. And I've always been like, I don't get it. Unless, of course, someone like Elisa is there. And then she's just giving like a Broadway worthy performance of it. And that is fun. But that is few and far between, you know? I do. I do. Um, Anyway... I also realized, though, while uh, while everyone was kind of mad at me for not liking karaoke when we were doing it at our friend's house the other night, um, I realized that another reason I don't like karaoke is because I used to be a singer and I'm not anymore because of a traumatic event. Um And like, it just kind of occurred to me that karaoke is like, especially not fun because I also don't find any joy in singing. So like, not only do I not really find joy in watching people butcher songs that I otherwise like, but I don't really enjoy singing all that much either now that I am no longer um, as good at singing as I once was. So That inspired me to talk about this story today. Um, When I was like in middle school at some point, um, I think like seventh grade, I went to see my first concert. It was Flowbots, (laughs) Handlebars. You know, um, I love I love a group with a message. Um, No, it was just I lived in fucking Vermont and not a lot of bands came. So when I don't know, I guess it was like 2007 that. I can ride my bike with no handlebars was huge. Mm-hmm. And they were coming to Burlington. I was like, fuck it. I want to, I want to see a concert. I'm old enough now. Um, so I went with my best friend and, um, we didn't wear earplugs, which I think is common for people who don't, uh, really like think that much about the damage that your ears can get at a concert. And for a lot of people, you can make that mistake once or twice and your hearing will come back. Um, I had the unfortunate situation of having some kind of degenerative disorder in my eardrums where whenever I lose hearing, it never comes back. Mm. So I went from being like in every musical and like in uh, like I was a big performer and I was very good at singing. I was like not Elisa's level at all, but I was like the Elisa of my family where I was like, we got to get this girl in talent shows. Um, And then I lost somewhere around like 40% of my hearing because of one Flowbots concert. Oh no. And I went tone deaf, which is um, very traumatic for someone whose whole identity is around what a good singer they are. (laughs) I still, I I never like really grappled with it because I didn't really understand. Like in my head, I was like, well, whatever, it'll come back. Like even though a doctor literally told me it's not coming back. Um, And I would actually like to get a second opinion now because I do think some of it has come back over time, but it also could just be that I'm used to it and I've overcome, like, you know, I've overcompensated or something as happens when you lose senses. But essentially, this doctor was like, yeah, I mean, you should probably just never go to any concerts again. And if you do, like, just wear protective earplugs way more religiously than anyone else really has to because other people's hearing comes back when they lose hearing at concerts. And that just is not happening for you. So I um, was kind of told that if enough traumatic noise happens 
around me. Like if like uh, if I'm ever close to like loud noises and I lose hearing from them, I will eventually go deaf. And that's kind of a, a reality I had to get comfortable with. Um, and so I like kind of have always had a little bit of a um, I'm not at all fluent, but I'm like pretty good at sign language now because I've been like, well, it's kind of a reality that I might go deaf in my lifetime. Um, and so for whatever reason, the fact that like I wasn't a singer anymore was not the thing that I like that I ever I never really processed that. I well, I was busy processing the fact that I might fully be deaf one day mm-hmm. more than I was thinking about like, oh, it sucks that like not only will I never be as good of a singer as I once was, but like I can't even really enjoy music in the same way that I once did. I just sort of like I was sad about that in a vague way and never really processed it and shoved that in a drawer and decided to make literally like that year is when being funny became my new thing. Yeah. Like that's when I developed a sense of humor because I was like, "Ah, well, girly can't sing no more. And I like never auditioned for a musical ever again. I still was in chorus, but chorus was like the least like was the shittiest part of every day because that was when it was most obvious to me what I couldn't hear. Like I could hear I could hear what I couldn't hear, if that makes sense. Yeah. It was like very um, evident to me what was missing from my life that I once had. And I was like 11 or 12 or I don't know, maybe 13 when this happened. So um, I don't know. I just like never (laughs) thought about it much deeper ever again. I just was like, well, I'm the funny person now. Moving on. I auditioned for plays still, so I was still in theater. I just wasn't in musicals. So it was like I kind of just like did a a good job of like pushing it under the rug and not thinking about it. And it and I've it's come up a couple of times where like someone will just kind of like compliment my voice because I am still a pretty good singer. Like I'm not bad. I just am not what I once was. And like sometimes that's kind of painful when someone's like, oh, like you're a good singer. I've never heard you sing before. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> well, there's a reason. And like that just it like comes up here and there, but I just haven't really, really processed it. And then when we were doing karaoke and everyone just kept insisting on being like, why don't you like it? I was like, you know what? I think this is why I don't like it. Um, And so I've been thinking about that a lot this week because um, I realized that my mistake was not being a 12-year-old who went to a Flowbots concert and didn't protect my ears, because that how could I have known that I had this like special circumstance? Mm-hmm. And my mistake wasn't even necessarily not really processing how traumatic it is to lose that part of my identity. My mistake was letting it stop me from doing something that was otherwise still enjoyable, and I was otherwise still pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I was no longer the best at it. Mm -hmm. Like I, that, that, like I realized this week for the first time that that's a huge mistake that I made that I've never even really thought about ever again. And it, it kind of blew up this whole, like, (laughs) I had this like kind of huge realization this week that I've done that with a few things where like, I've realized like, well, I'm not going to be the best at this thing anymore or for whatever reason, my circumstances are a little bit different than everyone else's. So I'm just going to be a huge defeatist about this and never think about it again. I also kind of did that 
with when I like got a knee injury, I like stopped doing a lot of like physical activity that I once thought was fun because now I have to be like extra. It's not even that I can't do it with my knee injury. I just like can't do it to the same extent that I once did, or I have to do it with extra caution. And I'm like, well, then I just don't do this thing anymore. Um, and that's just like not, (laughs) you know, the people that I admire in this world are people who like do shit anyway. Yeah. Um, and I just like realized that I have, been fully not doing the thing that I usually admire most in other people, which is when you fall, you get right back up. Um, not necessarily like I'm like, I think it's for the best that I didn't pursue a like singing career. And I don't necessarily think I would have or anything. Um, so I'm not like, I should have gotten right back on that horse and like accomplished something with singing, but it's a shame that I let it completely fall out of my life. Yeah. Um, like I didn't even really sing along to songs like while they're playing or like in the shower or in the car alone until like a couple of years ago, Mm. which is like a damn shame. It's also, it hasn't helped that I've been surrounded by exceptionally talented singers. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of my friends are very good singers and I've just been like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> Have fun, y'all. <laughs> um, but that's not fair of me to myself or them. Um, and so, yeah, that's my deep dive of just like robbing myself of, you know, it's not my fault that my hearing doesn't come back when I lose it, but it is my fault that I let it affect my life so profoundly for this long. Yeah. And so that's my mistake. Well, much like you robbing yourself of an experience and a part of your identity that you so loved <laughs> because of an overabundance of caution and or maybe fear. Mm-hmm. So did <laughs> King George V when he chose to not offer the Russian royal family, the Romanovs, political asylum in the UK in 1918. Um, thus causing them to die. Oh, um, right. Girly. So <laughs> let's get started. Best mistake. The Russian royal family in 1918 um, is being led by Tsar Nicholas II. Um, Tsar Nicholas II is a first cousin of King George V, who is the emperor, king emperor of the UK. And then their other first cousin is um, the king of the early king emperor of Germany. They're all grandchildren of Queen Victoria. Um, And 1918 also is the height of, or really it's like when World War I is ending, but it's also the height as well um, of the war. And at this point, Russia and Germany um, are Russia and Germany are being fought by um, uh, I forget what countries, but a few other countries and the UK is kind is trying to figure out like they're also involved in the war and they're trying to figure out how to not get 
too involved with Russia because there is some family relations going on. No one cares about Germany because everybody hates that cousin. And they're like, (laughs) let him die. We don't really care about him. He sucks. Um, So cut to the beginning of World War One. World War One breaks out in Russia at the same time as the Russian Revolution. Um, And so the Russian Revolution sees the Russian royal family, which had only been one family, the Romanov family, for 400 years, actually 500 years, um, ruling all of Russia and parts of Asia. Um, So a vast empire. They were the last um, autocratic empire in Europe at this time. So there's no constitutional monarchy. The emperor calls all of the shots, um, which like even back then was considered like kind of crazy um, because the rest of like the UK got a constitutional monarchy in like the 1700s. So basically after the French Revolution, that's when all of the other monarchies started kind of revamping things and restructuring the way that their monarchies um, ran as to ensure their own survival. Now, most of these monarchies did fall during World War One. The UK was the only one of the only in Europe, it was UK and Spain, to hold on to power. And this is how. So, let me pull up this article. Um, So, King George V and Nicholas II are best friends. They literally, they hang out a lot when they're on trips together. Um, George V refers to Nikki as my best friend and closest confidant. I'm showing Anya a picture because they literally look like twins. Oh my God, it's us. That's that's their Mindy. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, a very, very, very close relationship. So, um... The, uh, obviously the, the British royal family is watching this turmoil unfold with the Russian revolution and they're keeping their eye on it because they want to know like, what's up? Like, is this going to turn out into a full blown revolution? If so, what's going to happen to Nicholas and his four daughters and son and wife? Um, and so uh, George V has his private secretary, Lord Lord Stramfordham, um, keeping an eye on it and bringing him press release, like press clippings and press releases from anything that is happening in Russia, so that George can know. Now, mind you, at the beginning of World War One in 1914, when World War One breaks out, the British royal family had a. Re- we now know them as the House of Windsor. They had since Queen Victoria um, became queen, had been known as the House of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha, which was her husband, Prince Albert's uh, family name. And one thing that a lot of people don't know is that not only was Prince Albert German, Princess Victoria, or Queen Victoria um, was almost fully German. So the whole royal family to this day is mostly German. Hmm. Um, in ethnicity. And this obviously was like known with a name like the House of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. And so World War I breaks out. There's all this extreme anti-German sentiment raging through Europe. And so the firm that kind of runs the royal family comes to them and is like, you need to change 
the name of the royal house because if you don't, it's probably not going to be long before they come knock, knock, knocking on your door um, (laughs) asking to abolish the monarchy. Like you need to distance yourself from being German as much as humanly possible. So they fall on the Royal House of Windsor. Um, it's like me not correcting people when they call me Vols. I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'm not German. <laughs> Don't you worry about that T sound, darling. So the Russian royal family, uh, after the revolution breaks out, is imprisoned in one of their many palaces. Um Tsar Nicholas II is forced to abdicate, so he abdicates only to save, you know, his own skin and his family. But it's, like, too late at this point. Russia hates the royal family for a good reason. He's He was an extremely anti-Semitic emperor. He had, like, the most number of pogroms out of, uh, like, any king emperor at the time. So it was a huge Jewish, Russian-Jewish diaspora um, at that point in time. Um, the poverty was like unreal at that point. Uh, he used brute violence on protesters and college students, um, which is how we ended up with Bloody Sunday, um, which happened in Russia and like many other massacres. So when he, they, when he abdicates and they're imprisoned in one of the palaces, they are immediately put into the hands of the Bolsheviks. Um, and George V at this point is like, okay, we know where they are. They're in a secure location. We're going to get them on a boat and we're going to send them to the UK. They're going to come live here. They're our family. Like we need to save them. So he writes his cousin a letter and he's like, don't worry. We're sending one of our warships. We're going to get you and your girls and your son and your wife out. It's going to be good. Just like stay posted. Don't worry about it. So, obviously, Nicholas II is like, fuck, yeah, we're not going to die. So cool. <laughs> Clutch. Lit, 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 lit. Girlies, you're good. Um, son, you're great. Wife, don't worry. Um, so, this happens, and immediately, Cabinet and the Prime Minister and George V's Prime Minister come to George V and are like, so, that's not going to happen. Um... We probably should not let your family, who is the most hated monarchy in (laughs) Europe right now, with a revolution caused because of how much people hate them, into this country where there's already a big, big socialist and communist sympathy brewing around the UK, like a fervor we've never seen before as a result of the war. Um, like monarchies are falling down across the, across the continent right now. Do you really want to do that? (laughs) Like you're king, so you can do whatever you want. And if you want to let your first cousin and his kids into the country, we'll do it for you. But what's more important to you? Mm -hmm. Do you want to save your family or do you want to save your throne? So George V, who was known to be like an overly cautious, like spineless, just like anxious person who like really never had an original thought tells them not to send the ship, but like doesn't write to his cousin to tell him that they're not coming for him. Mm. So they just lose all communication. Well, 
Only a few weeks later, not even a month later, the Russian royal family is executed in a house uh, on the border of Siberia um, by the Bolsheviks, thinking that they are being saved that night. But that's not what happens. They're asked to come into a room because they're changing locations and they're actually murdered. Um, And... The British royal family, as we know, goes on to survive. They still exist today. Um, and the I think the most tragic part of this is that the survivors of the Russian royal family, who all were offered asylum in the UK after this happened, and many people believe that they were offered so warmly asylum by George V to make up for his guilt. None of them knew that this is why their family died. So they were all always under the impression that George V had done everything he could and that it was the Bolsheviks that had just like nixed them at the last minute. Um, But there's a documentary where um, a granddaughter of one of the last surviving Romanovs who like of that time period um, finds out in like unsealed government papers mm-hmm. what had happened and all you know she's crying and all she says is all I can say is thank God that my grandfather was never alive to find out that his uncle was the one who sold out his family um, and So obviously, in my opinion, you know, the mistake of this is just the ruthlessness and the callousness of the British royal family. And we've seen this time and again. They have always only ever been concerned with saving their own throne Mm -hmm. and no one else. And everyone is just expendable, including an entire family that was wiped off the chart of existence whether or not you think this family deserved to be murdered i mean i think the parents did i don't think like five innocent or yeah five innocent children did um one of them being an almost disney princess yes (laughs) moral of the story What really is the moral of the story of this episode? Um, What is that moral? I mean, first and foremost, to me, what's obvious is like, you should never put your loyalty to like people you love and your family members below what is essentially your career. Yeah. That's all. Like, I know the royal family, it's more than a career to them, but like... No, but it, I mean, it's like a, it's like their business. Right. So it's like, it really is just a career and they have framed it through like great PR for hundreds of years <laughs> yeah. as being more than that. But it's like, it's really just money. Yeah. It's why they, it's why like Meghan and Harry call it the firm. Right. You know? Um, yeah. Moral of the story is Meghan's right. Yeah. Megan, <laughs> Megan's literally correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that would be the moral of the story. You know, protecting your own um, proximity to power um, instead of, like, protecting the ones you love. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, It would be one thing if the reason he left his own family high and dry like that is because... He was like on the side of the revolution and like, th- like you know, yeah. disdained their like behavior as, you know, like if he yeah. were like, 
Because I don't think that your familial ties or loyalty should necessarily run deeper than your like principles and ethics. Totally. But that's not what this was. It was complete cowardice. Yeah. Because he didn't do anything to like be better. Yeah. Than them. Yeah. It was just so that. It was just circumstantially they were the ones that got axed. Like he was also. If his country was the one that was rising up, it would have happened to him. Yeah. Well, that's precisely why he left them high and dry. It was because there was a fear that enough people in the UK if he brought his family from Russia over like you know a deposed monarch over at the time of revolution then a revolution would also happen in the UK whether it be like an actual war or just the dissolution of the monarchy and you know the making of a republic that's what he was afraid of so it was all about holding on to power yeah which and, is insane. And like, you know, saving your own skin, I guess. Like, it's possible that if the that did happen, that they would all just die in the UK instead of some of them just dying in Russia. Yeah. So like there is like kind of defense, a, a defense in that one aspect. But if that's the case, have the decency to tell them that you're yeah. not saving them anymore. Totally. Well, yeah. And it's just like. And not just be like, ooh, awkward. Like, did that. Did that rescue fleet never make uh, it? <laughs> well, it's crazy too Our that nar. like no one, like no one in the Russian royal family that survived the extended family knew in their lifetime what happened, and they were all there weren't like a lot of survivors because most of them were rounded up and murdered by like the government after the royal family was murdered and also before, but there were like quite a few that were taken over to the UK by King George. Um, and they just like never knew, like they, they died thinking that the Royal family in Russia, that their own family died for like other reasons. Right. And so like we're housed by like a King who was like very nice to them and they didn't realize he was being very nice to them out of place of guilt, which I think is like pretty wild. Yeah. Like it just, the whole decision reverberated through like multiple branches of that family. Yeah. Just crazy. And it really, like, wasn't that long ago. So there's still people alive today in that family who, like, feel that trauma. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. Yeah. And also, you know, there was, like, the whole myth of, like, is Anastasia somewhere um, because they couldn't find all of the remains at first, right? Yeah. And so there's, like, there's, like, this weird... I don't know, glimmer of hope that was kind of there, but ended up being for nothing too. It's all just kind of just fucked up. (laughs) I mean, obviously uh, an entire family, including the children being executed is fucked up no matter what, but the the lack of transparency for everyone involved is like really dark. Yeah. I would love to do an episode sometime about that woman um, in Germany that claimed to be Anastasia. What was her name again? Anna something, right? Yeah. But then she had a different actual name. Yeah. She, um, yeah, she just was like severely mentally ill. Yeah. And she like, they, I think they like eventually, I've like read about her a lot before, but not for in years, but they eventually, um, realized that it wasn't her for like many reasons but one of the main one main ones was that there was a tutor for Anastasia who had survived um and 
like survived the assassination. He like had gotten out right before it happened and they sent him to like meet this woman and he was the one who was like, it's definitely not Anastasia. Like I, huh. I would know like it's, yeah. there's no way it's her. I forget how he like really figured it out, but it was like through some like lesson that he had taught her. Interesting. Yeah. I really just want them to make a movie about the actual execution because it was so gruesome and cool. Um, <laughs> they literally, the princesses sewed their royal family jewels into their undergarments. So when the executioners were shooting them, and the executioners were also drunk. When they were shooting them in like the room, the bullets were bouncing off of their clothes and like hitting the walls and not hitting them. Yeah. So they thought that the girls were like protected by like God or something. Right. So then they just stabbed them with bayonets. Yeah. You know who would be excellent at making that movie? The guy who made Fargo. All right. Well, I'm going to hit him up. Show. I'm going to hit him up because I want to be in it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should um, definitely get that going because I feel like, yeah. I just feel like he would execute it really well. They made movies, okay, no pun intended. <laughs> they made movies about the royal family, the Russian royal family being executed, but always ends without you seeing them get executed. Oh, and we want to see. I want to see it. <laughs> I want to see that bullet go in one side of the mother's head and clean out the other while she's doing the sign of the cross and turning her head Absolutely. right as they shoot her. I think you're really gonna like Fargo. Great. Anyway, um, <laughs> so that's the podcast. Um, <laughs> we both need mental help. Um, we do. Don't worry, I'm looking for a new therapist. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks so much for taking us on that wild journey. Of course. Eight-year-old me is would be so excited to know that I just did a podcast episode about this. <laughs> I only got books about this for Christmas and my birthday when I was eight. Because of your obsession with it or because your family was trying to get you obsessed? No, because with it? of my obsession. Yeah, I like literally, I like got in You're trouble. Like, you know what you'd be really into? <laughs> I got in trouble for being on Russian mail or bride websites because I was trying to talk to women in Russia just to like see what their lives were like. My, my, I mean, <laughs> everybody goes through a vague fascination with Russia at some point or another. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It was I a whole year of my that. life. We need to watch that Russian dash cam movie I was telling you about. Oh, yeah. It's one of the most insane things I've ever seen. It's just a feature length film of just edited to edited together dash cam footage in Russia and not a second of that movie is not riveting. And it's just dash cam footage. I would love to. Um cuz that and I mean it's huge that country. And so it really, you know, all sorts of different terrains and climates, all sorts of different cultures and people. And all of it is like has this weird cloak of mystery around it for people who are outside of it. You know? Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, Anyway, let us know. Have you been (laughs) the reason someone in your family got executed? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about it um, at... Best mistakes pod at gmail.com. Also tell us about any other mistake. You don't have to implicate yourself in a murder. Um, and follow us uh, at best mistakes pod on everything. Write us a review. Leave Please. us some little stars. Five of them, preferably. Um, but if you do leave us one review or a one star, don't like leave a review, but just like DM one of us. Let want, us know who you are. Let us know who you are. Why I want to know. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, support us on Anchor and 
fucking kiss your friends on the, the mouth, mouth. Uh, and test your drugs. Test your drugs. Love you. Bye. <laughs>